to, to bring your attention to where body and mind come together, unification, ekankata, unified, another synonym for samadhi, gathering together, collected. An important, uh, in my, my opinion, important term to refer to is this simple word uju, which uh, means a number of things, but I think a single word you can use for it is upright, upright. So you notice in the Menta Sutta you have this phrase Saku Ujucha Suhujucha. So this is a, you know, it means it's emphasized when one is truly together. Saku, when it's really well put together, one is able, one is upright. Uh, this means, you know, it can mean a number of things. What do you mean you've got your head screwed on, you're not psychologically unbalanced, you're a straight, sober state of mind. And also, I think, a sense of integrity is there. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is in the Metta Sutta, right? So before we even get round to, you know, loving kindness as a phrase, you get, let there be saku ujucha, suhu ujucha, suvacho, gentle in speech. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Unburdened, not carrying weight around. Self-importance, unburdened with duties, not constantly busy. It's this sense of something that's balanced, poised. It's not staggering. It's not rigid. It's not intense. It's just nicely poised and balanced. <coughs> this state of heart. And this is both to do with clearly a sense of moral integrity, you've got nothing you're ashamed of or trying to hide or furtive or, you know, impulses, crazy impulses running out. You're collected in your own integrity. You're soothing and gathering yourself in your own integrity and hiding out some of these defects that do occur. There's a moral sense to that. It's moral not in the sense just of righteousness, but of rightness. I think it's very important to realise this phrase that comes in the Metta Sutta, you know, where the emphasis is on how am I with others. So with a boundless heart, Sending goodwill to all others comes from this Uju place. When there's correct balance and poise, the heart isn't constricted with ill will, aversion, irritability, uh, mistrust, um, righteousness, depression, and natural goodwill. Why should there not be goodwill? You know, like, is it such a miracle? <laughs> the sad thing is that it's sometimes deficient. 
but it's not that you have to create it so much as you just stop uncreating it, stop blocking it. And nature is relational, we sense each other, there's a natural sense of some kind of empathy and sympathy and how is she doing and what's happening there and we're interested in each other. And if you kind of, you know, really prune that right down, not say getting on the details, but just a sense of is it natural to feel it's the people were happy that they were suffering. You see, they felt well and they were sick. That's called goodwill. And you linger in it, it becomes quite uh, radiant and brightening and transformative. When you linger in it, you linger in it, cultivate, develop it. You see the world in rather different eyes. You don't see stupid people, you see people who are getting confused. Oh, and compassion. You don't see, you know, lazy, careless people. You see people who are a bit confused or hasty or pressure of duties. Mind is not gathered. Compassion arises. You're starting from a different basis. And you don't see people who are better than me. You think, oh, how wonderful. You know, she's in a really good state. Wonderful. She's looking really well. Wonderful. Rather than, he's better than me. <laughs> you know, or I'm not as good as. Appreciation. Equanimity. You get the sense of things will change. Let's just stay tuned in. Let's not give up. Let's not grab hold of success. Let's not cower at things going wrong and complain and get bitter. Just things will change. Stay tuned in. Mm-hmm. Beings are working out their karma, going through their ups and downs. Let's stay tuned in. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't give up on yourself. So you cultivate these qualities, extend this quality of goodwill through the range of experiences of of others. When they're having difficult times, when they're making mistakes, when they're having a good time, when they're just going through changes, then naturally that's the atmosphere that gathers around your own body and mind. Rather than complaining about it or being dejected by it or, you know, comparing yourself with how you should be or whether you're as good as this or the other. And whenever there's sati and mindfulness, you feel a sense of, oh, carelessness has disappeared from me, I'm grateful. I'm prone to carelessness. <laughs> Wonderful, I had a good, you know, definitely there was strong bouts of carefulness there. I do say stupid things, but I managed to contain it today. Great. I thought of impulsiveness, but just now I managed to check it and feel my body and relax and take a time. Ah, this replenishment that occurs through mudita, 
we do need to replenish because suffering is tiring <laughs> that's why it's not recommended you know, stressing and agitating and complaining and blaming it just wear you out emotionally exhausting why it's strongly not recommended for your own welfare mm. and then compassion is recommended because even the bad times then turn into good because you're getting filled with something positive right? so it's a win these upper mana states measureless they don't have no measurement they're not an accountancy system like she deserves this much better and no more And only to ones one I like on a good day. Certainly, can start off being pretty measured and limited, but the idea is you linger in the sheer quality of it. This is nice stuff. This is good juice. And uh, changes the world, changes your mindset, changes what you notice and how you notice things. You notice the mishaps, not as idiot, but as, oh dear, made a mistake. Probably going to feel upset about that. Compassion. So the signs change, the nimittas change, for what signifies the world. <coughs> and all the time, getting good juice. Because these are not just kind of fanciful ideas. They are emanations of the heart, and the heart is not... I mean, you know, I'm not just about the physical heart, I mean that... (laughs) There's a whole world of of experience that's not material, but not abstract, right? The material world, we call it the material world, is kind of rocks and trees, and then abstract is dialogues of Plato or something or nature of pi, or you know, these kind of purely abstract. But you know, this primary world of meditation is called like fine material world, where it's to do with qualities that definitely have a palpable effect. They affect your mindset, they affect your nervous system. Probably the easiest way you can recognize it, call it nervous energy, but that's perhaps that's nearest to it. Uh, yeah. So when they're getting these qualities of Metakun, Mudito, Peka, they're going to work through the nervous energies. And it even rewires the brain. And still certain areas of the brain seem to light up more. But this is just neurology. But anyway, this is certainly something that was known and felt experienced in the time of the Buddha where they didn't even have neurology but they could certainly feel those emanations Mm. Buddha encompasses I encompass the entire world with a heart of compassion and sympathy I think he meant it I encompass the minds of others 
actually like a kind of a, an energy reaching out and like a canopy over others, a shelter, a refuge. So it is really important to get your sense of how morality and loving kindness should be seen together. So loving kindness doesn't mean give in to every wish you have, being nice to yourself. No, it means that what's really not good to yourself is to maintain a sense of integrity. Don't, don't deceive yourself. Don't hoodwink yourself. Own up, but in a compassionate way. This is, you slipped up there, let's set it straight. You can. And it's not about rigid adherence, where we get righteous. Because there's no relational sense with that. You take morality purely as an ideological thing, it becomes abstract. Right? Get what I mean? Puritanical. Where it's hard. And it's no quality of generosity, compassion, kindness with it. It's not related to people, it's related to principles. It's not related to the human world, it's related to some notion. And so, particularly if we cultivate our vinya, this is an understanding to keep clear. You know, you can get very picky and refined on some rules, and, but then does it make you get uptight, tense, judgmental, neurotic, obsessive? Is it about maintaining relational integrity with regard to other creatures, other humans? Mm-hmm own body, so you're not letting the asava, the outflows, sweep in and take over. And so a lot of ill will can be disguised under righteousness, and we see this very much in righteous religions, and they're quite capable of slaughtering people by the thousands for the sake of what's right. Loving kindness without, you know, integrity is just always giving in to every whimper. <laughs> A gratification. So you keep these two together, then you have Uju. And this is where you look at another context which is clearly signified, apart from the Sangha being Ujjupatipano, right? That's one of our, our characteristics, or the characteristics of a true Aryan disciple is the Ujjupatipano. Practice upright, practice Uju, practice with integrity, directly, however you want to word that, but it same term and of course, in um, looking at Anapanasati, one goes to the root of a tree, 
Sako Jo Jaksu yeah? Ojo Kayang Ojo Kayang Upright Body hmm? and, yeah. Okay, sitting upright But you look at it more fully Root of a tree, canopy, shade, shelter, safe Secluded Right? You feel safe, undisturbed, upright. It's not just an anatomical quality, it's a certain energy where you feel balanced, poised, spacious. You're not compressed upright, you're not like a soldier, military. And you can just, again, to elaborate on that, you can imagine being a forest dweller. At the time of the Buddha, massive jungles. You've got to be balanced to get around in that environment without treading on something that's going to bite you. You've got to really be gathered together in your body, on your toes, but not tense. Like a gymnast. You get tense as a gymnast, you can't do it. You get loose, you can't do it. You've got to have this inner poise. Ready. Collected internally. But certainly not oblivious externally. You don't get through a forest like that. So it's an interesting quality because it's open to what's around but it's not going out open poised stable not clamped down constricted but not going out and this is called viveka you know way we you withdraw and often some of the most, well, they're all significantly really important feature of how we meditate is how we, you know, gradually, you know, over a few minutes maybe, withdraw from the external engagements. You know, slowly, that's not enough of that, finish with that. Oh, it's just agitation. Okay, calm that one down. Okay, remember this. Come back, where's the body? You're gradually withdrawing back to this center, the upright center of the heart and the upright axis of the body. Roughly spinal. Are you drawing back to that? And that, the two fit together, don't they? Because you say, okay, you know, let's get serious now. When you say, speak your real truth, when you're acting with integrity, what happens? Do you get something sort of rises up and very straight in your body? You're not going to be waffling, blaming, excusing, prevaricating, just straight. Be straight. What happens? You can feel something, I can anyway, something lights up in the body. 
certain, yeah. This is your last moment. This is your last moment. I'll tell the truth now. And you go, right. You stop faffing around. Now, this is not supposed to be a crisis where we get anxious, but it's just that power of truth to draw us upright morally, psychologically, and I would also say somatically. You stand tall. You stand on your own two feet and you become tall. You can feel it. And anyone who sees people who are, you know, speaking their truth, you'll see they do that. So there's definitely this interplay between body and mind. You can witness it. It's sometimes not really noticed, but actually in meditation, in Buddhist service, that is very important. Because when the two the body and the mind come together in that way the heart, the sensitivity the receptivity, the ethical qualities become charged in a good way not intense but awakened we get very wakeful sensitive That's why in that particular mode you do have the sense of the tree, you're covered, you've got the ground beneath you, you can feel it. You're standing your ground. Yeah. And you can then that upright axis becomes apparent. You know, then you can even trace it from your tailbone, your sitting bones in the base of the pelvis. Right the way up into your cranium axis. And if you maintain that, spread your awareness across through that with a sense both of upright integrity and balanced state of mind. Balanced state of mind. Give it time. Give it time, gradually it will begin to amplify and become charged. I don't want to be like, too intense about that. You certainly feel that inner presence. It will happen by itself. As you're withdrawing energy from the external, going out, you withdraw it, you give it a proper channel to, to return to, it will go there. Very important then not to concentrate. <laughs> the Buddha never told us to concentrate on anything. He said, Samadhi arises when the mind is happy. The mind is happy when the body is steady. The body becomes steady when we recollected virtues and felt gladdened by them, taken them in deeply. That's the process. Then the mind is unified. There's no pushing it together. 
you know, pushing, you no know, pinching, you no know, clamping, you no know, point focusing. It's not there. So when you look in Anapanasati Sutti, you will not see any mention of focusing on any point at all. And of course, you know, people do whatever they feel is helpful. Um, but personally, I like to just go back to that. And what if I just really work on upright? Because that's what the Buddha says. He doesn't say anything other than that. And then just mindfully know breathing is happening. And the rhythms of that. In and out. Why don't you do that? Since that's what he said, apparently. He didn't say count the breaths. He didn't say focus on belly, nose. So maybe you could do that. But why don't you just start with the basics and see where that takes you. So this is not rigid upright. This is the uprightness that comes from withdrawing from unskillful impulses, outgoing tendencies, and feeling the uprightness of the body, and feeling the rhythms of it breathing out where everything discharges and relaxes by itself without us doing anything about it. And the pause, where things just settle for a second or two. Very important point, we don't necessarily notice. And then a steady rising inhale. Bodies do that. We don't do it. It's involuntary, it's a gift. Now, what we do is maintain our uprightness. Attitude is upright, body is upright, integrity. Drop whatever you can that you don't need. This is right. Samasankapa. No brutality, no forcing. Be sensitive, take your time, listen carefully. Nikama, just relinquish what you can, what needed. And simplification. My experience is that, you know, certainly with a lot of false starts and whoops, whoops, no, wait, backwards and forwards, settling in to the uprightness, having faith in it. Giving it time. The breath energy starts to flow along that, into that uprightness. So it becomes almost like a channel. Which, um, again, is rather difficult to understand from the Western anatomical point of view. But once you look into Indian understanding, it's right there. You know, pranayama, nadis, channels. Look in Chinese understanding, channels, meridians. Maybe they were right. (laughs) 
And that as this occurs, you get as a subtle energy channel, or if you don't like the word energy channel, there's a sense of an upright center that the breath, breathing energy flows into and it becomes a pleasantly, you know, subtly flexing inner form. And it's extremely healthy. Even just on that level. This is where you you know, the stress stuff starts to melt down and the stagnation starts to clear. And as we probably well aware, you know, stress produces chemicals, toxins, the body gets packed full of adrenaline and other stuff. So the endocrine system, the energy systems, the body's neurology gets malfunctioned and uh, you're taking medication to get to sleep and things like this. Massive physical results from psychological stress. Unquestioned. So now, the predominant classical system of de-stressing is breathing in and breathing out along that channel, that upright upright axis. People get so stressed they can't breathe properly anymore. It's just a little diaphragm, tight diaphragm. So you've got to forget the anatomy, focusing your diaphragm can tighten you right up. Just focus on feeling upright and relaxing the stress in your shoulders, your neck, your cheeks, your jaw, your eyes, your fingers, your palms, and your mind. Relax the gotta get it done, relax the I can't do it. How long does this go on for? All those kind of fretful, agitating psychologies, you know, they will definitely produce the stress chemicals that will mess you up. Because these are so common these days, that's why people are pretty messed up. In order to make meditation another work project which is going to mess you up, that body of stress. Breathing in and out is always recommended as that which calms the hyperactive centers of the brain, amygdala, cleanses the nervous system. That's even straight neurology. Now we're looking at something, okay, or deeper than that, maybe. Releasing regret. Releasing self-criticism. Releasing despond. Releasing judgments of others. Releasing the past. It doesn't just switch off at a moment's notice, but you can keep breathing through those psychological mental experiences, the calming effect of breathing in and out. 
practice in the light of goodwill is going to clean things out. Addictive tendencies, some twitch you've got to have a something, a cup of coffee, something to chat about, or get your phone and switch on. Okay, we all get those little twitches. Don't shut it down, don't shrug it off, just feel the twitch in your nervous system, in your heart. Take an out breath through that. We want a sense of, oh, not another day. Oh, no, not this again. And breathe in. Feel the sense of I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to make this is my turn anyway. And he did it yesterday. I told it so hard. Yeah, let's take an in breath and take an out breath. Don't mess around with even worrying about this stuff. You know, feel it. This is the conditioned realm. These are the acquisitions that occur. No point going to a tribunal now. Let's just clean up, breathing in, breathing out. It's, it's not abstract. It's not like some abstract exercise. And then we can make it that, you know, do this and you get to this stage and that stage and after you get this particular limiter and you get to that stage and you do you know, five of these. Why don't you try it as a human being? <laughs> you know? It's not an abstract meditation. It's a bit like abstract morality. We get fixated, we get obsessive and we get tight. And people disturb me. And things disturb me, and I disturb me. Noise disturbs me. Everything disturbs me. Because <laughs> once you get tight, everything disturbs you. That's the nature of being tight. If you're open, you live somewhere like a cloud, got no edges. Things pass through. There's no resistance, things pass through, there's no jangle. Breathing in, breathing out, open. Root of a tree, secluded but not locked in. World of cicadas and creatures moving around, being not interested. You're interested in upright. You're very interesting when you're getting a bit irritable and you practice breathing after that. So you're breathing out through the human realm, the human body, the embodied realm, in the human, living, animate context. And you can take this into meditational. You know, people are shuffling around and she's sniffling. It's nothing to do with me. May she be well. So I need to think, yes. Open, but not getting those 
triggerings of feeling, you know, irritated by human beings. What do we do that for? We're going to live with each other as open, and it is composed. People get irritated when they can't find their own centre, so naturally, you know, wives and husbands fight each other, kids and parents fight each other, brothers and sisters fight each other, monks and nuns fight each other. <laughs> Not necessarily physically, but psychologically. If you can't find your own centre, you're always trying to defend yourself against these people who don't do it the way I do it and can't understand what I'm about and does its annoying habits. They always puts their shoes there and never tidies up and kind of drives me nuts. Just, just compose yourself. <laughs> Go back to centre. Get a grip, you know. To that, okay. Find that center. Open, but not impacted. This is the paradoxical thing. If you open, but you have your energy is centered. Yeah. So it's really not about sense contact. It's about where your energy goes. Right? There's a distinction between sense contact, tactile, things striking the ear, and where your heart's energy goes. And people don't necessarily see the difference. Or really recognize there's such a thing as heart energy or breath energy. This, this medium is largely not known. But it's certainly, you can see the result, if your heart energy goes out towards sound, you're going to get irritated. Hmm? Like, you know, Ajit Mahabur's monastery, what Papanda, they had these jungle chickens running around. They get a hell of a kerfuffle. They say, what is chicken? Ajit Mahabur just laughed, he said, don't worry about the chickens, just focus on your defilements. Yeah. It's just sound. Well, they the elephant festival in um, Surin, I think it was, and the forest monk there, monk said he can't meditate because the sound of elephants trumpeting and rockets going off. He said, Oh, just leave them alone. Don't go there. Just do your practice. Let sound do it what it does, that's its duty. Your duty is to maintain your inner composure. Leave, leave it alone. And people think, how can you do that? You don't realize that our energy is what creates contact. Passa. It's not something striking here, it's something striking the heart. Because your heart's gone to your ears. What's it doing out there? Or your heart has gone out to somebody else's appearance. What's it doing there? 
That's why you get contact. And then when you get agitated because your heart's gone to the wrong place. And you may think you don't have any say over it, but you do. Once you've found this upright inner channel, that's the point. Because if we don't find that, that's exactly our heart does go out to those things. It's not anybody's fault. It's got nowhere else to go. So it goes out to sight and sound and thought and the past and memory and planning and this and that and what we can do next year. Because there's nowhere else to go. And it gets thrown around like crazy in there. And you're always trying to firm up the external world. Let there be no sound. No trucks driving up the road. Nobody mowing the lawn. No airplanes overhead. Stop the world. <laughs> How stupid is that? Your heart doesn't go there. You get somewhere else to go. So you really cultivate that inner axis. In many ways, for your health, just properly bodily function on a very basic mundane level, but more important, it's going to give your heart somewhere to go. Your jitta is going to rest there and be satisfied there and steady there and free from its desperate desperation, its anxiety, and its edginess and its sadness hmm? free from its sluggishness and inertia and imbalances you make it attractive so you enjoy your breathing it's a great gift imagine when you come into the room you just come out of a smoke field somewhere else, a smoke-filled fire and it's clean air, wouldn't you be glad? Imagine you've been fighting with a heavy lung infection and you could finally breathe freely, wouldn't you be glad? Would you care if somebody else was, you know, walking up and down the back, oh no, don't bother me, I'm going to be with this. Why can't we sustain that? And this upright axis gives you a place in your psychology, in your attitudes, and in your own body. Would you? And you rest in that. Breathing energy starts to absorb into that. That's its nature not closed down, it still has this suffusive quality. Just like loving kindness, it spreads, not because you're pushing it out, it just naturally spreads, suffuses like mist through the entire body that you can experience and the mind. And it cleans out the dry and the compressed states. But remember, you don't do it. Your job is to maintain the upright, return to it. You're upright. Not anybody else is upright. 
be yours. And give it embodied time. This is not numbers on a clock. Bodies don't know that. Let your feel a sense of the body gathering in and steadying. And release the time boundary. Then you're going to find everything, the mind begins to stop being so anxious. Uh, linear, much more receptive, and this is a mystical experience where boundaries of time and space disappear. And these are felt realities, they're not, you know, they're, they're known, described, you know, mentioned straightforwardly in, in the suttas, just there it is, all laid out. Yeah. And this is our possibility. And when we cultivate this way, you can feel your own collectedness. Naturally, everybody else, anybody else's collectedness, their energy is going to be there in the room. We can benefit from that. Yeah. If it's not there, you withdraw to wherever you feel it. It's your job. Withdraw you your attention to wherever you feel that collectedness, that gatheredness. Everybody else is scatty falling all over the place, doesn't matter. Withdraw to where you feel your collectedness, your uprightness, stay there. And you can cultivate it. And you'll feel that sense, you can go with you when you walk, when you stand, you're still in that same upright zone. Don't go out, don't close down. Open, stable, flows along. So let's take some time for practice now.